Welcome everyone to the Fantasy and Betting Podcast presented by the 33rd team. I'm your host as always, Josh Larkey, joined as always by Ryan Reynolds. We're going to preview all the Sunday and Monday games for week three NFL action. Let's start with Patriots Jets. Jets are three point underdogs. The game total is terrifyingly low at 36 and a half. If we look last week, Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook each carried the ball just four times. They're now well-rested. When we look at uh, the other side of Patriots offense, they're going up against maybe the best pass defense in the NFL in the Jets. Ryan, is each path of winning for these teams just simply running the ball and hence the the 36-point game total? Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. You know, keep it muddy, keep it keep it conservative for as long as possible. I think the Patriots have more options in the passing game than the Jets for certain, but is is both of these offenses are going to be more conservative than normal in this matchup. Now, I think another way to look at this is, do we think Zach Wilson is going to be given any kind of leash when he's going up against a Bill Belichick defense? I don't think so. And I think that portends bad things as well. For the other Wilson, Garrett Wilson, I will keep mentioning it until people start to adjust. Everyone still thinks Garrett Wilson's going to be kind of fantasy relevant this year. My expected fantasy points model has him at wide receiver 39 for usage. He's scoring wide receiver 23 in fantasy points. Wide receiver 23, that's a low end wide receiver two. We start him each week. Wide receiver 39 is outside of the wide receiver three range, and that's not really a player you do much more than flex. He's pacing for only 60 catches, under 1,000 receiving yards, but he's scored in both games. I would be absolutely floored if he keeps catching a touchdown every three and a half receptions from Zach Wilson. On the Patriots side, I'm only starting Ramondre Stevenson and Hunter Henry. I don't think we need to worry about auxiliary options in a brutal matchup. Ryan, any other thoughts on this game before we move to a projected higher scoring affair? Uh, Like I said, division rivals, good defenses. Not much to watch here. Let's let's talk about an exciting game now. Whew, we made it. We made it through a we made it through a clunker. We can talk about Lions Falcons. Lions favored by a field goal. Game totals hefty, ten points more than the last one. It's at forty six and a half. Now I think what's interesting is the Lions have shown some solid run defense through two weeks. They're allowing only three yards a carry after playing the the Chiefs and the Seahawks. And what do we know on the other side is that the Falcons want to run the damn ball. Ryan, it's strength versus strength. I lean that the the Falcons will be successful running the ball, and my fantasy rankings reflect that. Do you share that similar optimism for their run game? Yeah, I think the Falcons have a top 10 offensive line. The offense runs through their running game for a reason, too, and I would say Detroit statistically is a little bit better statistically than maybe they are in real life at this point in in their run defense. Yeah, I, I tend to think so as well. Guys, that's Ryan Reynolds, NFL on Twitter. He's watched every snap of every game since 2014. That sounds like the kind of resume where I would, if I was a listener, I would trust him. And as his co-host, I also trust Ryan's analysis. When we, we look at fantasy on the, the Lions side, since I think with the Falcons, like we're obviously, we're starting Bijan Robinson. And then everything else is kind of pick your poison in the run game. Lions, I have Jameer Gibbs as a top 10 running back this week with David Montgomery out. I have Craig Reynolds all the way down at running back 42. And you might be like, Josh, how do you expect the split to go? I think Gibbs gets seven to 10 carries and pretty much all the pass catching work. I think Craig Reynolds gets 10 to 15 carries. And you might be like, 
well, do you think he, he might get a red zone or goal line carry as opposed to Gibbs? Yes. I think Reynolds would be the guy. And then you might go, okay, well explain that massive gap. Essentially. I think David Montgomery's actually not bad at football. And I believe that without him, the lines might trend a little bit more pass heavy in the red zone. So while yes, if there's a red zone goal line carry, I think Reynolds gets that. However, I think Gibbs is probably going to get some red zone targets in this contest. Greg Reynolds feels like the kind of guy where you look and you go, oh, I got 10 carries for 46 yards. And you're, you're a little bit disappointed that you started him. The other Reynolds, I think is a little more exciting. Josh Reynolds. He's had a 20% target share now through two weeks, at least 66 yards in each game. And I think he's flex viable here. And my fantasy rankings are free on the 33rd team.com. And they reflect that. And I now have Sam Laporta as a top 12 tight end. Ryan, he's had five catches in both games. He's pacing for 85 receptions, 900 yards as a rookie. Does it? Does he look like the real deal out there? This was a guy that, that ran a 4-6, which is very good for tight ends. He's been incredibly involved early. Do you think that his play has kind of merited that? Or is he simply there by default until Jameson Williams returns? Let's turn the clock back here for a second, Josh. Back in this offseason, back before the draft, when we were doing the rookie draft guide, you and I did a mock draft where we had Laporta as the heir to Travis Kelsey. So we liked him then. This isn't really a, a big surprise given their limitations in their pass catching group. Yeah. Now, uh, one thing that I, I've learned from you is that Detroit often will struggle against big receivers. Do you think this could be the, the Drake London or Kyle Pitts week then, given that these are two big bodies? I have London wide receiver 35. That feels a little high, but I'm giving credit to your idea here that, that the Lions don't really defend that position quite well. But I do have Kyle Pitts, though, outside my top 10 tight ends. I, I think you can have him anywhere between tight end 10 to tight end 18. I have him just outside the top 12. The, the problem here is we just have so little pass volume. And I, I think the ceilings of a lot of other guys are going to be higher than a, than a Falcons pass catcher. Do you, do you think there's potential here for one of these two guys to have a big day? I think there's always potential for either of them, either of them have a big day because they're both qual, you know high-end athletes, blue-chip prospects. But ultimately, a bottle boils down to two things. Volume in the passing game, which you know could be on the rise here because the lines of a dangerous offense. Maybe they push this score past 46.5 points. And the other one is, you know, simply put, Desmond Ritter. Do we trust Desmond Ritter? And the answer is no, we don't. So yes is the answer to the question, but would I count on it? I don't think it's bankable at all currently, no. Now we're getting a lot of comments on the YouTube. Thanks everyone for checking out the Fantasy and Betting YouTube. If you want to get all your questions answered, hop into the free 33rd Team Discord. It is linked on my Twitter, at tweets. It is linked on every single one of our articles on the 33rdteam.com. If you're reading Ryan's power rankings, if you're reading his expert picks or his matchup columns, you'll see the Discord link there as well. If you want player prop bets, start-sit advice for fantasy, trade advice for fantasy, DFS advice from Jordan Vanek in Hilo, you have to hop into that free Discord. We will answer all of your questions in there. Ryan, anything else on this game before we move on? No, I mean, we just talked about Desmond Ritter. I think that the major difference between these two teams is Jared Goff. If, say, the Lions go down by 10, the Lions have a clearer path to coming back. If the Falcons go by 10, they're probably still going to be run heavy as long as they can be. So I think that's essentially the difference maker in this particular contest. That's a good point there. Let's turn to Commander's Bills. The, the Commanders are six-and-a-half-point dogs, despite being 2-0. and 
but it's because they're running into the Bills. Game total is 44 points. This is going to be Sam Howell's toughest test yet, Ryan. He faced Arizona, then he faces Denver. Denver was a great pass defense last year. That's been uh, significantly worse this year. How do you think Sam Howell fares now that he's facing uh, a, a true test, shall we say? Uh, I think my answer to that question is I don't really have a lot of confidence, but I was surprised last week in Denver that I, you know, all of a sudden I'm sitting there and 10 minutes later, I look up and the commanders have 35 points. So I'm open to being wrong about this, but I, I don't, this is a tall, tall order for Sam, Sam Howell. Now the, the bills shut down the, the Raiders running game last week. Uh, Jacobs carried nine times for negative two yards. That sounds fake. Do you think this is bad news for Brian Robinson? I have him as a lower end RB2 this week. We love the volume, but I don't know if he's necessarily enough of a difference making talent to overcome what could be a potentially really difficult matchup. Yeah, it's definitely not good news. And, you know, the Bills at least have a mild to significant trench advantage in this contest, too. So my answer is yes, it's a negative. And it's definitely, if, if this if Buffalo ends up tearing it up offensively, a negative game script's not good for Brian Robinson either, which happened to Josh Jacobs last week. If we look at the some of these fantasy options, I have Terry McLaurin as a wide receiver three in fantasy. I have Jahan Dotson as a wide receiver four. We have yet to see any commander's player reach 55 receiving yards in a game. Kind of fun that Howell is spreading the ball around. Not very fun for fantasy when we actually would prefer if he just throws the ball to Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. When we look at the other side of things, James Cook at this point, he's the clear every week starter that we need in fantasy. That running back position has been ravaged. But uh, I mentioned it on our Monday show as well. Uh, five goal line carries for the running back room. All five of them went to Damian Harris and Latavius Murray. James Cook had what was it like 150 total yards yeah, big and game, he still big game. didn't quite hit 20 PPR fantasy points. Yeah. That, that's kind of what happens when you're not allowed to touch the ball at the goal line, but even still, I think he's kind of like a top 15 ish type option each week, just based on usage and that we think the bills will have an efficient offense. Don Kincaid. I think we're still not quite every week starter level with him yet. He's running two thirds of the routes We're we're getting close, but if he's almost a top 12 fantasy option, despite that usage, then make sure you're not dropping him. I think the, the future is going to be very bright for him here. What else do you want to add now about this bills offense in this game? Um, let, let me put it this way. My only real concern is the Washington has an excellent front, super talented front four. And my other one is this game opened as commanders plus seven. If it opened at plus six and a half, which is where it is now, I tend to look to see if the underdog can eat, you know, that, my process starts as, okay, I want to bet on the other dog of this game because they're essentially inviting you to bet on Buffalo. So this game's – I could see Buffalo winning this game 24-20 to 20 and Washington covers and loses. I think that's kind of where I'm leaning right now. But at the end of the day, it's Josh Allen versus Sam Howell. So Buffalo can certainly win this contest by margin as well. Let's turn to the AFC South divisional matchup between the Jaguars and the Texans. Jaguars are nine and a half point favorites on most sports books, and the total is 44. However, if you like the Jaguars here, I mean, who wouldn't? I, I think they are going to beat the Texans pretty badly. You can actually get the Jaguars at minus eight and a half on my bookie. Go to mybookie.com, use the promo code 33rd team, you get a 20% deposit match, and then you can bet the Jaguars minus eight and a half. The Texans lost by 11 to the Colts. 
They lost by 16 to the Ravens. They've been a fun team in some ways because of garbage time, but hey, the garbage time happens because you're getting absolutely trounced. I think the Jaguars cover the eight and a half points in this contest. One more time, mybookie.com, promo code 33rd team. Take the Jaguars minus eight and a half. Now, if we look at this Texans offense, like I mentioned, it's a product of garbage time. It's a product of an injured offensive line. This is a fun stat, though, because we, we have positive things to say about this Texans receiving core who has the most wide receiver fantasy points this year among every team not named the Miami Dolphins. It's because their their base personnel at this point is 11. That, that means there's one running back, one tight end, and three receivers on the field. We love for fantasy if there's potentially three guys that can get there each week. We saw it last week, double-digit fantasy points for Nico Collins, Robert Woods, and the rookie Tank Dell. When we look at the running back room, it's Damian Pierce in a workhorse role, but he's still just my RB25 this week. He's averaging two and a half yards to carry. The offensive line hasn't done him any favors. The garbage time game script does the receivers favors, but not the running back. Ryan, how do you see the Houston offense against the, this Jaguars defense in week three? I mean, the problem with the Houston offense right now is their offensive line's down three starters due to injury. It's been a disaster through the first two weeks, which is, you know, things happen like that. We thought that was going to be a strength going in. Injuries happen in football. One concern I have is the Jaguars have a really good edge duo, fast guys, blue chip players, both of them. Um, Laramie Tensel's awesome. Uh, Houston is a backup right tackle at the other side, so they're going to give him help this week. But there's a, there's a chance that the Jaguars can make some margin there. And I wouldn't particularly call the Jaguars a very good run defense, so... Maybe Damian Pierce gets a little going here, but again, very, very tall order for Houston here. When we look at the Jaguars, Travis Etienne had six fantasy points. It was the letdown of the century as a game. Remember, everyone was excited. We were excited about Jaguars, Chiefs, and then somehow there's 25 points scored in the game. Was it 16 to nine? I mean, oof. Yep. the, the yep. game, I think it closed at a 53 or 54 game total. It ends up at 25. That's less than half. That's not what we want, but we do want bell cow Travis Etienne. That's what we got. 12 of 13 carries, two of three running back targets last week. I mentioned on the Monday show, I'll mention again, it is not clear at this point that Tank Bigsby is the backup. We actually saw Dearness Johnson with the lone non-ETN carry last week. I think he's a sneaky waiver pickup for deeper leagues. Now, Ryan, I, I was doing some real football analytics not fantasy analytics real football analytics and i thought it was interesting that the the jaguars have quietly been the second worst passing offense in epa per drop back for anyone that is terrified by the the initials epa because they think of the environmental protection agency no this stands for expected points added it is essentially looking at how every single play contributes to a team actually scoring points essentially the average drop back for the jaguars through two weeks has been the second worst drop back you could have for real football. That's very concerning. Do you think they write the ship this week against the Texans? Yeah, I, that Jaguars locker room had to have been devastated last week because it wasn't just a game that they scored nine points. You know, they're an ascending team, potentially a contender, and you, you just scored nine points at home against the Chiefs. This is an obvious correction spot. Houston's scrappy, don't get me wrong, but the Jaguars have a lot of tools on offense. And Tra Trevor Lawrence is a former number all one overall pick for a reason. So yes, I, I think they get, they write the ship here. Let's turn to Ravens Colts Ravens favored by seven and a half points. Game totals 45 
clearly a lot of that game totals being propped up by the Ravens. Justice Hill, the running back, has not practiced this week. This might be a Gus Edwards week. We're going to monitor that. I'll keep my fantasy rankings updated. Not that he is the most exciting option, but given the running back landscape, I can see him cracking my top 24 in a game where the Ravens should blow them out. And we could see him with 17, 18 carries. The the real exciting part, though, for fantasy is going to be this Baltimore pass attack. Since Baltimore is down, J.K. Dobbins and Justice Hill at running back. And now they face a Colts team with maybe the worst cornerback room in the league. That, to me, says this could be a very pass-heavy, exciting game plan. Talk to me about what you've seen from this Colts secondary, and do you share similar optimism that this is the the big week for this Todd Monken passing offense in Lamar Jackson? I think it could be. Like we've discussed this. Lamar Jackson's been very efficient, but I don't think they've hit their ceiling yet, which is interesting because they've they've been productive on offense. But yeah, Daryl Baker Jr., Dallas Flowers. We've been targeting the Colts perimeter corners for the first two weeks for a reason. Odell Beckham plays the absolute majority of his snaps on the perimeter. Looks like he's questionable still, last I saw. So, yes, the ceiling's very high against the Colts secondary this week. Yeah, we, we haven't had props out yet, but I'm going to be curious to see if we, we get any kind of like really low Nelson Aguilar line, who actually looked decent last week. There, there's a few things to get excited about because this is definitely one of the biggest mismatches of the week. Turning to the Colts, it's going to be the Gardner Minshew show. Anthony Richardson does not seem like he's going to play. He had a head injury in week one where he left for a few snaps. In week two, he had the full-on concussion and never returned to the game. With Gardner Minshew in tow, I think that might just make us a little more excited about Michael Pittman. Probably a little bit of a pass-heavier offense. We're going to be starting Zach Moss, who played all but one snap last week. No other running back played a snap in general. No other running back, obviously, then touched the ball. Hit 18 carries and four catches. Love that role. And then for, for deep leagues, Kyle Granson at tight end has been a little interesting. I'm not really trying to start him, but I think if you're in a very deep league, especially a tight end premium one, Jelani Woods is on IR. He's probably coming off soon. I think that's a sneaky stash. The, the rookie flashed pretty big time, huge, very athletic. And I, I think what we saw from him last year could, could lead to some interesting fantasy production, especially in tight end premium leagues this year. How do you think the game plan is going to change with Gardner Minshew under center for the Colts? I mean, the big one is Anthony Richardson's a dynamic athlete that broke the combine last year. He's already been good through his first, let's call it 1.2 games since I think he had two drives last week. So entirely different players. Gardner Minshew's an excellent backup, kind of, you know, in the mold of Ryan Fitzpatrick, both in personality and style to a degree. But going into Baltimore where you have to throw, where you don't really have a very good run game, not good for the Colts. Let's turn to Dolphins. Broncos, Dolphins favored by six and a half. Game totals 48 and a half. We've seen the Dolphins offense be unstoppable. We saw the, the Broncos last week show some signs of life as an offense, and they nearly came back. Scored 33 points. Couldn't quite unseat the commanders in that one. When we look at the Dolphins, one of the big fantasy notes is Jalen Waddle was concussed last week. He might miss this contest. I think he probably does. If you were to ask me, I'd say it's probably 65-35 that he's not going to play. The The one note I'll make, because I think we kind of know how this Dolphins offense looks for fantasy, I think Devon A-Chain, their rookie running back, is going to be a low floor, but potentially high upside play. If you're absolutely desperate for running back production, it doesn't look like Salvin Ahmed is going to play this week. 
that, that kind of leaves the path open for a chain. There's no waddle. Suddenly there's just fewer playmakers, fewer cooks in the kitchen. This was a college sprinter. And I, I think if he gets 10 touches, he can actually sneak into fantasy relevancy. Now, Ryan to attack of has been the NFL's best passer so far this year. This Broncos team has given up the seventh highest yards per attempt to opposing quarterbacks. And they have faced Jimmy Garoppolo and Sam Howell. I, I think Tua gets the job done, even if Waddle sits. Is that kind of where you sit? That this is clearly a, a must-start fantasy option. And just for real football, we expect the Dolphins to drive on them at will, right? Yeah, I'm not sure I'd quite go drive on them at will, but I think they'll be around their their team total. I think they're still a good offense. You know, the, the thing is, is Tyreek Tyre Hill is one of the best weapons in the history of the sport. Pairing him with a guy who's similar in Jalen Waddle, just how do you handle that from a defensive standpoint? So only having to deal with one of them makes life much easier. But still, Mike McDaniel is an excellent coach, one of the better game planners in the league, who is accurate. They at least, the Miami's pa- pass protection has been excellent so far this year. Maybe that's a bit of a problem this week, but yes, I think there's still going to be a stable, solid offense, but the ceiling's not quite as high without both Waddle and Hill. Yeah, we keep getting comments on YouTube, everyone. Thank you for those. Make sure you drop those in our free 33rd Team Discord, linked in all the articles on the 33rdteam.com. We'll answer them there. Shout out to one of our contributors, Wheeler. He drops rankings on the site, and he's very active in Discord, and he's in the YouTube chat. Thank you, sir trying to funnel the good people into discord where we Ryan and I will get your question answered. When we look at uh, Denver, I, I found a very promising stat for the, the Russell Wilson offense. They've had 17 red zone plays this year, 12 of them, 71% were pass plays. That's among the highest marks in the league. You have to love that confidence in Russell Wilson. And while the touchdown rate looks a little unsustainable through two weeks, We do love that they're at least giving him pretty much every opportunity to score when the team gets there. When we look at the run game, it's a committee. It's gross. I I really just can't get excited about any of these options. We've seen two goal line carries. One of them went to Javante in week one. Then Leal McLaughlin got the other in week two. Samaj Pirine, though, led these running backs in snaps and targets in week two as well. It's it's a three-headed mess. And uh, you'll notice as well in the past game, I have Jerry Judy ranked as a fantasy wide receiver too. I think this is a nice rebound game for him where the Broncos are probably in catch-up mode. Ryan, has Russ looked a little bit better to you? And does it surprise you that they've been so pass-heavy in the red zone given what you've seen out of the pass and run game? The answer to the first question is yes. He's definitely been better so far this year, more consistent. We both expected that. Joe Banner expected that too. Um, The other question is interesting because – I would say yes, that is surprising. What Russ does best is he extend plays, extends plays and throws the ball downfield. So him, the red zone's an entirely different animal, throwing the red zone, shorter field, tighter window. So yes, that is actually surprising, especially given what Sean Payton's... Sean Payton's a pretty... He's more run-centric than I think most people realize. So that that is surprising. That's a great question. Yeah, it surprised me too. I I think all, ultimately like one of the big takeaways is just like the the touchdown rate of Russ if this continues, we'll just be pretty high. So I think that's exciting, but yeah, not necessarily the quarterback. We'd expect the offense to just give full trust in, in that range of the field. Let's turn to my favorite game of the week. Vikings versus chargers. I've seen this flip back and forth, Ryan Vikings minus one chargers minus one. They're playing a little ping pong action. It is currently 
there, I guess like it's always been a game total of 54. It is currently Vikings as the one point favorite. But then when I looked, the Chargers money line was favored over the, the Vikings money line. There, there's a lot going on here. Essentially, we'll call this a pick em. It's the ultimately, this is just the, the shootout we've been looking forward to. I, I think Josh Kelly has a bounce back game. Doesn't look like Eckler is going to play here. He ran into the buzzsaw of the Tennessee Titans defensive line last week. The The Vikings are fine. They, they've been semi-adequate in week one when they faced the Buccaneers. But then they were actually quite the opposite when DeAndre Swift ran for nearly 200 yards against them last week. I'm inclined to think Kelly falls somewhere in the middle of those two outcomes. And then uh, we're going to start four receivers from these two teams. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams from the Chargers. Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison of the Vikings. But I think even KJ Osborne can be flexed if you need it. Unfortunately, Alexander Madison's usage is just good enough. Cam Akers was traded there, but it's still early. This might be the last time we are allowed to start Alexander Madison in fantasy because volume and because the Chargers defense tries to let you run on them rather than pass against them. Now, if you want to bet on TJ Hawkinson, who wouldn't want to bet on TJ Hawkinson? He's currently the tight end one in fantasy. And TJ Hawkinson right now in the betting markets is over five and a half receptions. Everywhere you look, five and a half receptions. I would lean over. He has at least seven catches in both games. When we look last year, he played nine full games for the Vikings. He was over that number in five of them. Everything points to he usually goes over five and a half. And the best odds for this are on my bookie. Plus 117. Nice plus odds bet for Hawkinson to have six or more catches. It feels a little gross when you hear tight end six catches. And then you look at Hawkinson and you go, oh my God, this is essentially the Travis Kelsey role. And that's how we need to keep reframing it. I don't, I don't think Hawkinson is the best tight end in the NFL. But does he, in some ways, have the the best receptions role in the entire NFL among tight ends? Absolutely. MyBookie.com, promo code 3013. TJ Hawkinson, over five and a half receptions, plus 117. Those are the best odds you can find on any sports book. Ryan, please confirm my priors that I think this will be a shootout. Is there anything else that you're looking for in Vikings Chargers? Yeah, I think it's most likely to be a high-scoring game. To, to touch on TJ Hawkinson real quick, his volume as a Viking has just been extraordinary. So his floor is just sky high. Five and a half receptions is very, very reachable. I'm going to throw two things at you here, though. I watched film with Jordan Vanek last week. We noticed that the the Vikings played a lot of soft fronts against Philly, and that's why DeAndre Swift went off. Like you said, if Austin Eckler sits in this game, I think Josh Kelly's in a pretty big spot here. And on the other side... I know you hate Alexander Madison, not just not just as a fantasy option, but as a person too. I know that. I've heard it many times out of your mouth. Um, <laughs> but you did say nice things about him just now, like maybe this is the last time we're legally allowed to play him. And I'm not only going to play him in season long if I have him, which I don't have him in season long. But on DFS, I'm going to march him out in DFS. I'll be overweight on Alexander Madison this week against Brandon Staley's run defense. Uh, that's good to hear because as you yeah. might imagine, I I have 25 managed leagues this year. Alexander Madison does not appear on any of those 25 teams, yeah, but that is part of the fun of DFS is I yeah. will also have some yeah. Alexander Madison lineups because he stinks. Everyone knows he stinks. Cam Akers <laughs> just went there, but I, this does feel like kind of the last hurrah 
for any Alexander Madison hope. And I'll I'll put it this way. If Madison can't get it done in fantasy this week, I, I think he becomes nothing more than just a bench dash given what we've seen and how the Vikings actually went out and sought to bring in Cam Akers, another disheveled running back. Let's turn to Browns Titans. Browns are favored by three and a half game totals low at 39 and a half without Nick Chubb. I think Jerome Ford leads this backfield. People thinking Kareem Hunt will lead this backfield kind of forget that two months ago, the the Browns essentially said we'd rather have Jerome Ford than Kareem Hunt. They brought back Kareem Hunt out of necessity. You have to adapt on the fly. He is the only other running back out there that fully knows the system inside and out. It it made sense. No brainer. Uh, I think Jerome Ford is a RB three type this week in fantasy, given that it's the Titans who are just going to shut down running backs almost every week. But I think after this week, he he starts to look like a, a real like top 15 potential option. If you're going to be getting 10 to 15 carries and some pass game work, he wasn't a high 40 time guy, but we did see him break a 69 yard run on national television. There, there's a lot to like here about a 220 pound back with big playability. Who's also competent in the receiving game. I think Kareem hunt is nothing more than a bench stash for the most part. If we uh, look at this Browns passing game, it's going to have to be leaned on more without Nick Chubb. Sean Watson hasn't looked great through two games, but the Tennessee Titans are a pass funnel defense. We're probably going to see more out of Watson this week than the first two weeks, but what do, what do you realistically expect to see from him where great matchup, but the, the backfield can no longer protect him? The defense won't worry about Jerome Ford like they do uh, Nick Chubb. How do you see the these factors at play here? Yeah, for the run game, run games are about run fits. You know, I'm a sicko, Josh. I'd rather see a perfect run fit than a 50 or a dime, dropping dime to someone. So the Titans are, you know, they're as good as it gets in that phase. That's why no one can run run the ball on them. But like you said, the secondary is just so beatable, and the Browns' offensive line can mitigate the Titans' impressive front. So here's what I'll say. Deshaun Watson, I'll, I'll – our quarterback rankings – He's been at 28th, and when I first saw that, I was like, oh, that's you know, that's a little low. And now it's you know, pretty prophetic so far. He's been, I won't just say he's been disappointing, he's been bad so far. And if he doesn't, if this isn't a get well spot for him against this Titan secondary, the Browns are in trouble offensively going forward. On the other side of the ball, when we look at the Titans, we're starting Derrick Henry every single week. He has a top five role in fantasy football. All the Tajay Spears hubbub was just hubbub. He did not outsnap Derrick Henry in week two. Henry had twice as many snaps, like six times as many touches. We can all relax. Derrick Henry's still here. The big dog still lives for the rest of the season. But I'm actually I'm pretty concerned about this pass game. So we, we've seen Ryan Tannehill just take sack after sack, throw a lot of interceptions. And uh, DeAndre Hopkins sprained his ankle. He played last week. I actually thought he looked fine. You'd probably know better than I do if he looked like he was 100%. I wouldn't say he was 100%, but... It did not really look like he had the high ankle sprain that some thought. Traylon Burks is borderline droppable at this point. I've just really not been impressed with anything I've seen this year. And when we look at Cleveland, they're allowing under five yards per pass attempt to quarterbacks through two weeks. They shut down Joe Burrow in week one, and then they mostly shut down Kenny Pickett in week two, aside from that one big catch that was basically just George Pickens being an alpha male and breaking tackles. Ultimately, the reason Pittsburgh scored so many points is they had two defensive touchdowns. 
Do you think Cleveland wrecks the Titans? I know you and I are in a league with Nick Bodiford, yeah. who does our waivers and our fantasy takeaways, and we are trotting out the Browns right now very confidently as a, a top-flight defensive option this week. I assume that means you're also concerned about Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, I talk about this all the time, trench trench advantages. You know, the, the Browns have a really, really good front. Miles Garrett's a top-three pass rusher in the league, at least off the edge. Excellent front. The cornerback group's really good. They can manage Burks and Hopkins if he plays again. So, yes, very worried about the uh, Titans passing attack because of the pass rush for Cleveland. Let's turn now to Packers Saints. Packers two-point favorites. Game total is 42.5. Christian Watson practiced on Wednesday. He didn't practice today, which is Thursday. I'd say at that point, he's probably highly questionable. I have not seen Aaron Jones practicing either. I'm going to assume A.J. Dillon gets the start. The Packers are a little bit of a run funnel defense, but it's weird because the Saints are going to have Tony Jones and rookie Kendra Miller at running back. I don't think Jamal Williams plays. Alvin Kamara returns from suspension the week after this one. What, what do you think the Saints game plan is here, Ryan? When it seems like you should be running against the Packers who have a pretty good secondary, but you look at the Saints and you go, oh my God, we've got Derek Carr, Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, Rashid Shaheed, Jawan Johnson, and really nothing at running back. It's almost like strength versus strength in this one. Indeed, I agree. It's a bad week to not have Kamara or Jamal Williams. I think you know if I'm New Orleans, if if Miller's fine, I just see what I just see what he has on early downs, and I, I try to take that approach early. Otherwise, like you said, they're going to lean into a strength versus strength matchup. But they do have four legitimate, strong players in their passing game core. I don't think Green Bay is going to shut them down. But I could see this being Derek Carr's roughest game so far this year. That's kind of where I lean to. If we look at Packers players, A.J. Dillon at 15 of 19 running back carries last week. He ran the most routes among the running back room. He is a true workhorse. You should start him confidently in fantasy, given that there's so few players that we actually know are going to get all the high-value touches in that running game. And rookie round two receiver Jaden Reed is now viable each week in fantasy. He's led the team in targets each week. And I think he might actually be a real threat to Christian Watson as a, who the target leader is whenever Watson does return. Jordan Love is pacing for 442 pass attempts, but 51 passing touchdowns. It is very unlikely that he is pacing for what would be the third fewest pass attempts of last season, yet 10 more passing touchdowns than any quarterback had last season. Is this the game that he starts to come back down to earth? And I certainly hope so. He he's been efficient. He's been effective. Like you said, he has six touchdowns already. Not a lot of volume. He hasn't had to done. He hasn't had to do much so far. And ideally for Green Bay, they can have success on the ground too against the Saints defense because they're better against the pass and the run. But yeah, I think this is again this is probably his toughest opponent to this to date. Yeah. So if if people want more stats behind this because they're surprised, so the the six touchdowns with so few pass attempts, he's throwing a touchdown. Every eleven, uh, every nine passes right now. Wow, really good quarterbacks throw a touchdown once every twenty passes. Love has been doing it once every nine. This is uh, certainly not going to be holding up long term. Let's turn to Seahawks Panthers. Seahawks favored by six points. Game totals only at forty two. Looks like Bryce Young will not play in this contest. It will be Andy Dalton. Bryce Young sitting due to injury. I mean, oh, if we, we start Miles Sanders in fantasy. I, I think that is it. I do not want much part of this. 
I think Thielen or our man Jordan Vanek has been in on him and he's been correct. It's really been the Thielen show in the past game. I think if you're truly that desperate, you can flex Thielen, but let's be honest outside of Miles Sanders, there is nobody else we are interested in starting this week. How do you feel about this Andy Dalton offense? I think the parallel I'd make is when the Giants went to Seattle last last year and just couldn't do anything. You know, the Seahawks <laughs> one of the few true home field advantages in football. And like you said, their defense is in a pretty good bounce back spot against a very volatile Panthers defense. That you know, if you watch Monday Night Football last week, they're kind of actually hard to watch. So I, I'm with you on that stance. Yeah, the the Seahawks have allowed more than 300 passing yards each of the first two games. That trend is almost certain to end in a major way on sunday if we look at the seattle side i'm pretty optimistic about a lot of these fantasy players because i I think the seahawks can win by a considerable margin here i have kenneth walker as my fantasy rb5 he has been getting all the high value touches he's been more active in the passing game even than zach charbonnet shout out to ryan here who was much more on team walker while i was a little more on team charbonnet so far it is looking like walker is getting all the touches still a little early to know they might ease Charbonnet and more, but early on, Walker has a top five role in fantasy among the running backs. I have Metcalf and Lockett both as clear starts in this contest. Lockett got in the box twice last week. Metcalf had a lot of receiving yards on limited action because he was dealing with an injury. Seems like he should be fully healthy here. We still, unfortunately, though, cannot start Jackson Smith and Jigba because he does not start in two receiver sets, and his average depth of target is two yards on the season. Oof, that is a borderline running back with his target depth. Now, Ryan, somehow this Panthers team that no longer has cornerback J.C. Horn, who's on IR, has actually kept Desmond Ritter and Derek Carr completely bottled up. Do you have any concerns about Geno Smith, or do you think after a very encouraging week two against the Lions that he builds on that momentum here against uh, a Panthers team that, that honestly looks pretty hapless at times. Great question. My answer is yes. I'm a little, I am a little concerned on opening day against the Rams. Gino Smith looked like a backup quarterback last week in Detroit. He looked wonderful. He looked like he did last year for most, most of the season. That said, he went into Carolina last year and struggled quite a bit. You know, like you said, horns down. So that's a bit of an advantage, especially given Seattle's wide receiver room. So I I'm optimistic but I don't exactly fully trust Geno Smith. Let's now turn to the Cardinals Cowboys. Cardinals are 12 and a half point underdogs. Totals 43. You can do the math there, folks. That means the the Cowboys are projected for nearly 30 points. The Cardinals projected for considerably less. Bad news out of Dallas, though, is that Trevon Diggs, their star corner, tore his ACL today in practice. But I don't think either of us is very optimistic about the Arizona Cardinals exploiting this. And I I think I'll I'll pass to you in a second, but I think one thing we can agree upon is that this Dallas Cowboys team looks like maybe the best team in football right now. They are simply way too good. And uh, my bookie has Dallas as a much heavier favorite in this one than other sports books. And I think we'd both agree that they have that right. I I don't think the Cardinals are ever going to win this game. I think if, you need the safest survivor option this week. It would be the Cowboys. I don't know if I would necessarily use them quite this early, but I, I really don't see any path to the Cardinals winning in this game. So if, if you want some some sharp lines out there, mybookie.com, they are with it. Dallas Cowboys, massive favorites, as they should be. The money line heavily skewed in the Cowboys' favor. Promo code 33rd team. Go to mybookie.com. 
And then you can get that 20% deposit match. Sign up, make an account, keep Ryan and I employed, add it to your line shopping portfolio. That is mybookie.com, promo code 33rdteam. They know the Cowboys are simply going to stomp the Cardinals. On the Cardinals side, I will start Zach Roots in fantasy. He said six catches in both games. I think Hollywood Brown, especially now that Diggs is injured, could be started in deeper leagues. I'll be moving him up in my fantasy rankings that are free on the 33rdteam.com. That is all I'm interested in. Ryan, tell the people just how badly the, these Cowboys are going to beat the Cardinals. I know if I was an odds maker, I wouldn't want a whole lot of money line ability on liability on Dallas. Um, you know, <laughs> here's the thing with Cowboys. They can beat them in every phase. Josh Dobbs looked like Tom Brady last week against the Giants. I don't think that's happening against the Cowboys pass rush. Granted, like you just said, Diggs is a big loss that greatly reduces their secondary. But even if the Cowboys defense has an off day, Dak Prescott and company can light this team up. So, you know, 12 and a half points is a lot, especially for a home underdog. But the chances of Dallas winning this game are very, 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 very high. If we look at the Cowboys, Tony Pollard's my fantasy RB1 this week. Game script should be in his favor. He has the best role among any running back right now in fantasy. 20 carries a game, five and a half targets a game. In a great offense that gives him all the, the red zone goal line touches. Hard to find anything better than that. Brandon Cook sprained his MCL a week and a half ago, and apparently he practiced in full today. These guys are truly the best of the best when it comes to their ability to rebound from injuries. Shout out to Brandon Cooks. Good for him. I will be adding him to the fantasy rankings after this show, but I'm just not that excited about the Cowboys pass attack just because I'm not sure if they're going to need to pass that much. I have Dak Prescott as my quarterback 10. I think he's going to be super efficient. The, the real worry here is that guys, I know Daniel Jones was the quarterback one in fantasy last week. Do I think Dak Prescott's going to go down by four scores and then have to lead a historic second half comeback? No, I think they're going to be leading the whole time. The reason I think Dak's been a little disappointing in fantasy this year is because of just the, the Cowboys are too good for their opponents. This feels like the third week in a row that the Cowboys are simply going to be too good for their opponents. Ryan, do you have any other thoughts on this Cowboys team? And do you kind of agree that if Dak Prescott threw for 175 yards, that wouldn't be all that surprising to you? Uh, that's one of the conditions of being able to win in all phases is that, you know, maybe Tony Pollard has 150 yards in the ground. Maybe the defense scores twice. Maybe Dak Prescott has 170 yards passing on that outcome. So, yes, I, I think that's fair. And, again, it would be an absolute stunning upset if the Cardinals somehow came away with a win here. Another game where it would be stunning if a team won would be Chiefs-Bears. Chiefs favored by 12.5. Game total is 47.5. We would both be stunned if the Bears made any noise in this game. They, they're imploding. Their defensive coordinator resigned. There's a lot of conspiracy theories, rumors. All I know is that he actually did, in fact, resign, so it's clearly bad. On the field, this has looked like the worst team not named the Arizona Cardinals, but I would actually argue in some ways that half of football the Cardinals had last week against the Giants was more promising than pretty much anything we've seen this year from, from the, the Bears. I, I think in fantasy, we, we can start Justin Fields still. He, he runs just enough. He's been passing more this year. Feels gross to start him, but I, I think they're... I think against the Chiefs, we, we can do it this week. DJ Moore has played a little more outside than in the slot. I wish he played more in the slot. I think he's going to get more reps in the slot in this game, especially when Darnell Mooney was banged up. Last week, the Chiefs have been beaten by the slot. I have Cole Komet as a top 12 fantasy option. He He's really been the number two here, right alongside DJ Moore this season. 
that, that's that's about it. I, I don't think we should be starting these Bears running backs all that confidently. I will be ranking Roshan Johnson ahead of Khalil Herbert in this game, given game script. And given that Khalil Herbert's just not really been getting much of a workload at all. This Bears team has been lethargic. They haven't had many offensive plays in general. And when they have, they, they've simply tended towards a pass game where all we see is Justin Fields taking sacks. 13% sack rate as a rookie, 15% sack rate last year. It's back to 13% this year. You simply cannot have your quarterback getting sacked every six to seven dropbacks. Ryan, the, the, it gets worse. The Bears left tackle Braxton Jones is now on IR. Is there any hope for this Bears passing game? Or are you thinking that the Chiefs dominate in all phases of this game as well? Kansas City's defense so far this year has given up 14 plus 9 is what, 23? 23 yeah. points so far this year to the Lions and the Jaguars. So, yes, Chicago's offense is in trouble. I think the best hope here is if, you know, especially given the absolute insanity going on inside, you know, the organization right now, maybe Justin Fields just lets it rip, you know? Like, not even as a passer, maybe he just runs and carries his offense. I think that's mm -hmm. their best path to keeping this game close. When we look at Kansas City, it's weird because we have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. We're very excited. I think Isaiah Pacheco could go pretty nuts in this matchup. But the it's weird because there's such a large receiver rotation. None of these guys have high floors. I think the way I'll frame it is if you're projected to lose by a lot of points, guys like Sky Moore and Marquez Valdez-Scantling become more attractive. I mean, uh, we just saw Baker Mayfield throw for more than 300 yards against this bear secondary. I, it wouldn't surprise me if Mahomes is throwing for 400 and we see two receivers get there in fantasy. So I, I'd say they're all shaky options, but I'd say the, the upside of all these guys is going to be a little bit higher than I rank them in my fantasy rankings, where if you're trying to decide between two guys in the forties or fifties in my receiver rankings, just defer to the chiefs guys. If you want that upside, Anything to add here, it, right? It, it does feel like Mahomes throws for 350 plus in this one. Yeah, Chicago has no pass rush again. The new defensive coordinator situation, well, that's probably a bad thing in a lot of ways. It probably makes it a little harder for Kansas City to game plan since there's going to be there's going to be a little different there this week. That said, looks like an obvious correction spot, right? The ship, bounce back, whatever you want to call it. Patrick Mahomes could absolutely shred this team. And if Justin Fields is able to push this this game at all. Things could get out of hand for Kansas City offensively this week. Let's turn to Sunday Night Football Raiders Steelers. Raiders favored by two and a half points. The spread is, or the, the game total is 43. When we look at the Steelers, George Pickens had 10 targets on Monday night. No other wide receiver or tight end on this team had more than four. We love that he is separating himself from the pack with Deontay Johnson now on IR. When we turn to the running back room, I, I'm concerned. Because not only is Jalen Warren eating into the carries, he has actually just eaten into the pass game work, which is kind of what we were hoping Najee Harris would have. On Monday night, both these players ran 15 routes. Najee Harris caught one pass for a few yards. And Jalen Warren caught four of six targets for 66 yards. I think we're, we're potentially one week away from flipping them in the rankings and having Jalen Warren as the preferred fantasy option where it almost feels like a Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard situation from last year. The silver lining here for Najee Harris is he has been leading the team in carries and the Raiders have given up more than five yards per carry. 
it's actually quite interesting because on the other side, the Steelers are the only team allowing more yards per carry to running backs than the Raiders. The Steelers have allowed more than six yards per carry, which is highest in the NFL. Feels like a bounce back game for Josh Jacobs. Ultimately though, Ryan, how excited can we get when it feels like the best paths for both these teams like Jets Patriots is simply to run the ball. It's a good point, actually. You know, for the Steelers, Hayward's out. That's the reason why their run defense is a little bit vulnerable. So Vegas probably should lean on Josh Jacobs, especially since Jimmy Garoppolo has just been a game manager for the first two games. On the other side of things, I think we have to keep in mind that the Steelers just played two of the best fronts in football. Their run, their offense in general being ineffective. I'm not too worried about that this week. They they play a much different team in the Raiders defense. And like you said, Harris and Warren kind of have a Pollard Ezekiel Elliott thing going here. Warren's more explosive. Ha- Harris is actually probably better in every other facet, you know, as a as opposed mm-hmm. to being speed. And I think this could actually be a pretty sneaky game for Najee Harris against the Raiders, especially if Pittsburgh plays plays with a lead. Yeah, so Najee Harris last week had more than five and a half yards per carry after contact. You might be like, well, why wasn't he efficient? Well, he was hit one and a half yards behind the line of scrimmage per rush attempt on average. He was getting absolutely destroyed. Part of that is probably that Najee Harris is a little slower. He's not going to hit the hole as fast as as Jalen Warren. But I, I think it's encouraging that the guy is still breaking tackles. He's still... Uh, looking like the 230-pound running back that he is. So, yeah, I, I will start Najee Harris this week if I had him. I don't, I have him in a couple leagues, and he he will be in the RB2 slot. I, I think this is kind of like the the last hurrah game where if he can't get it done here, then, yeah. then, then we're gravely concerned. Yeah, Jacoby Myers was limited in practice. It looks like he will return from the week one concussion. We all remember that he had the, the 10 targets, nine catches, two touchdowns in week one. He is back on the fantasy radar this week. Do you have any hopes for Jimmy Garoppolo here where he gets Adams and Myers? Jacobs will be able to probably have a respectable down the ground, which should in turn help the pass game a little bit. But again, Raiders offensive line, Steelers defensive front. How do you see the the winner in the, this matchup when the Raiders are on offense? I have a stance here, but please don't judge me until I finish the whole thing. Here's the thing. Tom Brady <laughs> used to own the Steelers, right? Own them. Yes. Josh McDaniels was his play caller for a large portion of that. Jimmy Garoppolo also had some time in, in New England. He's certainly not Tom Brady. We sh- I don't even want to mention him in the same sentence. But there is a path to the Raiders having a sneaky strong game in the passing attack because the game planning's there. And Pittsburgh's done the same thing defensively, you know, from a macro sense for a very long time. So do I want to bet on that? No. But can that happen? Yes. All right, everyone. We're all shaken up from this. I think the logic, though, does make sense. We we have a doubleheader once again on Monday Night Football, just like last week. Buccaneers versus the Eagles. Buccaneers, five-point underdogs. Game totals high at 46. Ryan, is this the week we finally see Baker Mayfield really struggle? I think so. I, I think people have liked them more than I have. And one of the reasons is, and I said this on our Monday show, You know, the, his first pass of the week last year against the Bears was a drop pick six, you know, like I don't forget those things. My, my concern here for Tampa's offense is their interior offensive line shaky. And the Eagles have two monsters from Georgia and Jordan, Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter, especially Jalen Carter. I could see those two guys just derailing this game potentially. And Baker Mayfield's not exactly Mr. Mobility. 
Yeah, if we look at the the Buccaneers, I'm a little concerned as well about this overall offense for real life. But I think there's some nuggets here for fantasy that are exciting, which is Rashad White, 17 carries both weeks, three and a half receptions a game. That's a great role. And then Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have been getting it done, especially Mike Evans. But even Chris Godwin has been startable. And you might be like, how does this make sense? You're, you're encouraging us to start players, even if you don't love them in this week. It's because of how consolidated this offense is. It's really Rashad White in the run game. And then in the past game, it's Baker Mayfield throwing to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. That's what happens when you have Kate Otten at tight end, when you have the undrafted Sean Tucker in the backfield, Chase Edmonds just went on IR. Their wide receiver three might be Trey Palmer, who I think they took in the sixth or seventh round this year. It's, it's really just a big three, which we do like actually for fantasy. On the Eagles side, I have DeAndre Swift as a top 20 running back, even though it seems like Kenny Gainwell is probably going to play. I believe he earned lead back status after running for nearly 200 yards last week against the Vikings. Ryan, one, one interesting note, a little bit concerned. Jalen Hurts failed to hit 200 pass yards in both games this year. Are you at all worried about that? Or is that simply a product of this team can just beat you in too many ways? And they happened to win back-to-back weeks via the run game. You answered my question for me, Josh. I think it's option B. This is one of the reasons why the Eagles are a great survivor team. I wouldn't use them this week. I'd save them. But their defense one week one in New England. Their run game beat Minnesota last year behind that great offensive line. And now you have Jalen Hurts against a Buccaneers secondary that kind of can be beat by talented guys like A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. So I think this is a bounce-back spot for Hurts. And let's say this, too. I, I want to say this in a celebratory way. How awesome is it that Mike Evans has 237 yards already when he's had 1,000 yards or more a season for nine years? Now he's almost a quarter of the way there through two games to make it 10. I love it personally. Yeah, me too. I, I, I'll, I'll always root for a guy like Mike Evans. He seems like a good dude, incredibly fun to watch. And I feel like his style in some ways is kind of a throwback where a lot of the, the new age receivers are a lot smaller. We're seeing yeah. the, these Jalen Waddle, Chris Olave, Devonta Smith, a lot of guys that are 180 pounds or less succeeding in the NFL. That's great. I also sometimes like Bully Bull. I like Mike Evans. <laughs> I like A.J. Brown. I, I think even though this could be a lopsided affair, it's at least going to be a fun watch on TV. Let's turn to the final game of the week. This is the game that we both know the least about. Bengals-Rams. And you might be like, well, why do you know the least about it? Well, the Bengals are only favored by three points. The game totals 43 and a half because ultimately Joe Burrow's status is up in the air and that really, really matters. He, he's dealing with a calf injury. He was at practice today. It did not look like he was participating. He was just wandering the field in every clip I saw. He shouted at the OC at one point. I guess that's that's fun. Maybe a little bit of drama going on. The, this offense hasn't gotten going through two weeks. Ultimately, I think if he suits up, the, the Bengals bounce back. And I think the, the biggest beneficiary outside of obviously Chase and Higgins going nuts whenever Burrow does return to form would be Joe Mixon. He's had 26 of the 31 running back carries through two weeks, 26 of 31, and 10 of 13 running back targets. This is mid-range fantasy RB1 usage. When you look at the proportion of the backfield he is controlling, we simply need this team to move the ball down the field more effectively. But player neither of us were super interested in this offseason and i think we would both agree that he's a potentially good buy low if this usage continues it does not seem like they trust another running back in this backfield 
Ryan, is this a get right game if Joe Burrow plays? I don't think we should play this from the angle of does he sit because that is boring. And I think then we'd kind of lean Rams in this one. Yeah, I don't want to talk about Jake Browning starting an NFL game. That's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, I'll say this about the line. The line, I didn't see this, but someone told me this that I actually trust. The line opened at around Bengals minus six. Then when I looked at it, it was Bengals minus three and a half. It's the first time I saw it. Then it went down to Bengals minus one, which would indicate that they thought he wasn't going to play. Now it's back to Bengals minus three. So odds makers don't really have a great read on this, but it seems like they're trending closer to Burrow playing now than they were a few days ago. And if he does, yes, this is a correction spot. The Rams have really played well through the first two games. You know, I told, I said this on Monday. If you were going to give me an MVP through the first two weeks, it's Matthew Stafford. But uh, yes, the, the Bengals are desperate. The Bengals have the two tools to shred the, the Rams secondary. That said, Aaron Donald's also in a plus matchup against an uncommon opponent. He's one of those unique guys where I imagine blocking Aaron Donald. I don't, I don't imagine there's anything even close to it. So <laughs> there's that too. But yeah, if Burrow plays, I think this is a Bengals win. Uh, when we look at the Rams, Matthew Stafford's been so good. Like you said, maybe the MVP when it comes to what he has done with the roster, he has been, been dealt. Matthew Stafford though, has not fully gotten it done in fantasy. And that is because he has a 1% touchdown rate through two weeks. For contrast, Jordan Love has a touchdown rate of 11.5%. Jordan Love's throwing touchdowns at about 12 times higher of a rate per pass than Matthew Stafford. We would both agree Matthew Stafford is a far better quarterback than Jordan Love. I think more touchdowns are going to start coming through the air. I still think Kyron Williams is a top 15 weekly option right now because he's a bell cow, but I do think the torrid touchdown pace that he has so far is going to slow. And then I have Puka Nakua as a top 15 receiver. I have Tutu Atwell as a low-end wide receiver three. I think it's time that we just start both of these guys each week until Cooper Cup returns. Do you have anything else to add here about Stafford and how good this Rams offense has looked? Yeah, I mean, you have to give credit to Puka Nakua. He's been very reliable, but, you know, what Stafford has done with the supporting guys they have so far is just, it's mind-blowing. One of the biggest surprises of the year, if not the biggest surprise of the year so far. Guys, that is Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter. Make sure you are following him. And make sure you're reading his work on the33rdteam.com. He's got power rankings for you. He's got game-by-game matchup previews for you. He has his expert picks article that leads the site Thursdays and Fridays. Everyone visits. Everyone loves that article. If you want a quick five-minute read where you get to know about every single game and how Ryan views it, that is the best place for it. And if you want my fantasy rankings, they are free on the33rdteam.com. I will be updating them after this show ends because of the Thursday practice reports to make sure that you have them updated prior to Thursday night football. From myself, from Ryan Reynolds, from the 33rdteam.com, from the 33rdteam.com Discord, from our sponsor, MyBookie. Thank you, everyone.